0: And welcome to another episode of Women and Leadership Podcast brought to you by the Influence Alliance, the business building community for coaches and consultants who want to build a sustainable, scalable business they love. And I'm your host, Anne-Marie Cross. Now, my guest today says it's heartwarming to see the community continue to support charities despite the circumstances of COVID-19. Joining me on today's show is Tanya Burston. Now, having finished her business degree and volunteering her time at a charity, Charity, Tanya realised that she could be far more impactful, not just by her acts of service, but by improving the donation experience. So she launched the online crowdfunding platform mycause.com.au in 2009, which now stands as an award-winning platform for personal and charitable causes, raising over $140 million for Australian community groups, charities and and individuals. Since then, Tanya has been awarded three times as a Telstra Business Award finalist, top 50 women FinTech leader and Monash University alumni global leader. Now on today's show, Tanya's going to share navigating through COVID-19 while helping businesses, charities and communities how to raise much needed funds. She's going to talk about how she built herself up to become an industry leader and female entrepreneur, as well as taking a small idea and making it into a successful venture by persevering and never giving up. So welcome to the show, Tanya. Thank you, anne Look, I love the uh, introduction and how we kind of heard that you uh, were giving of your time to amazing charities around Australia, and then you recognised there's got to be a better way of being able to support. And I love that it, it it kind of led you on a journey to developing now, of course, this incredible platform, which is an award-winning platform, mycause.com.au. Just share a little bit of the backstory, has charities and volunteering, is that always been a, a part of of your life give us a bit of backstory if you would Tanya.
1: Yeah look probably quite influenced by my late mother I was um, always you know sort of volunteering for charities and helping out where I could and in this one particular instance that was a sort of light bulb moment I was volunteering for a charity called Lighthouse Foundation in uh, Melbourne and a whole lot of footballers were actually running around Albert Park Lake to raise money and it was great it was such a massive effort by then but we couldn't collect the money. There was no easy way to collect the money. People said that they would donate, but how do you get it? You know, do you get a check? Do you go up to them? Do you ask for the cash? And that was sort of that light bulb moment. I was like, oh, gosh, there's got to be a better way. Um, and that's when I led me on to the journey of online fundraising and crowdfunding. So I think I was a little bit of an accidental entrepreneur in the sense that I saw a gap in the market and then I just went forward to fill that gap um, with something useful. So I didn't even, I didn't know anything about, uh, you know, online businesses. This isn't even before there was um, terminology around online businesses, you know, terminology around, um, you know, startups. Nobody used the word startup in 2009. So it was just a matter of this problem needs to be solved. So I went ahead and tried to solve the problem.
0: Yeah. It's interesting that you should say that because sometimes you recognise a problem and you don't know what the solution is and you don't even realise that at at that time what this could become. What is if you look back to some of the steps that kind of led you down to realising, well, hang on a minute, crowdfunding. I mean, we've never even heard of some of these uh, platforms and what we now uh, know is is incredible, you know, platform that uh, is doing incredible support for many organisations now that are impacting people around the world. So what was that journey for you? Were you starting to talk to people, um, evolving an idea? Did you kind of just follow the problem and, and and then all of a sudden through conversations with people hang on a minute how about we do this what was that journey
1: so bearing in mind there was no one to talk to so this didn't exist so it wasn't like I could go out to somebody else doing this and say so how did you do it what can I do can I copy what you were doing it didn't exist so there was nobody to talk to the people i talked to were people that i trusted in business and people that i'd seen start other businesses different from what i was doing nice. um, and the best advice I got from um, somebody who um, ultimately was extremely successful, and this is the advice I give to people that I now mentor, and that is just start. Mm. Just get going. Just get into it, and it will evolve. And that was the great advice. So, yes, I did, and, of course, there's many mistakes along the way, and don't you wish um, that you know, knew then what you know now? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but you yeah. can't. Um so it was kind of a journey of discovery of uh, building the platform um, ultimately to what it is today. And there were, you know, little side ventures that we went out on that didn't work, some side ventures that we went out on that did work. So, um, you know, the technical side was probably the most challenging, um, but that's uh, all, all evolved now and in the past. But uh, I think it was just following your nose, taking it to market, and then realizing that any business... Even if it's online, is a business. Yes. You still need customers, and you still need um, a way to monetize that entity. Monetizing means a way to make money. I mean, it's all well and good having an amazing idea. Well, wow, I'm going to put up a website, but how does that? What, what, how does the finances or money flow? How do you get paid in order right. to grow that entity? So, yes, of course, it's an online business, so it's really modern and so forth. But it's still the um, classic issues of any business from 100 years ago to today you know what are you selling who are you selling it to and how are you monetizing it so all yeah. those still all those all those things still have to happen and the sales part of it is a really uh obviously massive part of the business it, 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 at the end of the day there's no getting out of the hard work mm-hmm. of selling your your idea your concept your product
0: yeah. And of course, um, we'll, we'll be diving deeper into that. I know that there's a number of people who are here. If you've got a question of Tanya, please ask away and I will share that. And Rochelle uh, is here. She said, Love the advice to just start. Absolutely. I think what is so um, key in that is that often we are looking or we're waiting for it to be perfect. But until we start, and I'm sure when you look back to the different um, iterations of the software, it looks remarkably different to what it is now. But you weren't able to make changes to improve things until it was there. Share a little bit about uh, not not the specifics of the journey, but rather how often what we end up doing is walking away be, or becoming so frustrated, or you know, again, it's just not what I want it to be. But it may not be. But then it's the fifth time, the sixth time, the tenth time, the, or whatever it is. Share a little bit about that because especially yeah. when you're innovating and starting something new, you are not copying something you're actually creating something So a bit about that I think that's right like you
1: have to be really agile and I'm sorry to use that um, modern corporate speak uh, word but um, and by the way we were agile before we even knew what that word meant and before it even existed in our lexicon in the sense that you have to be prepared to go in one direction that may not work and then pivot (laughs) another word pivot to another direction um, that works better So I think it's just got to be really flexible. So whilst you might have in mind a way that you think it's going to work, Uh, you might take that to market and find that that's not what the public or the customer base that you're looking for works or that it's the wrong customer base or whatever that looks like and that you might have to adjust and pivot and change and if you're not going to be flexible like that you're not going to make it and then obviously once you find that correct path then you keep going on the path I mean if everybody knew in complete perfection what was going to work then every business that started would be uh, a complete success, but it doesn't work that way. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's trial and error. It's trusting your judgment and instincts. It's um, being flexible and adaptable. And, you know, perhaps in, in some ways being really strong about what you think, a, a belief in your product. So when I was talking about my product and my idea to people, a lot of people said, mm, I'm not sure, I don't know if it'll work. Because they've never seen it before, which is fair enough. You know, you can imagine if you went to somebody 20 years ago and said, I've got this amazing idea. It's called Airbnb. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. They go, I don't know. Who wants to rent out their house? You know, look at it now. So I think in a way, you know, um, if you really, really feel strongly, you need to push and keep going on that journey, even if that journey takes
0: twists and turns. Something that you mentioned uh, about that, and so often people don't see that vision, but I think what you, what was really driving you forward was the need that you saw from the experience that you've had with working with those other charities and then not really having this efficient, effective way to uh to obviously get, gather all of those funds that had been promised and people had contributed towards. What were some of the key decisions that you, in hindsight, can see that you made that maybe was against the face or against the the tones of the people saying, no, I don't really know if that will will work? Because sometimes the decisions that we made as, as directors, as leaders of this business can be very against the grain, but you can see looking back, this was pivotal, we're using that word again, pivotal in where we are today can you think of a couple of times where that was specific for you
1: yeah look certainly there were you know and equally things that didn't work by the way but certainly there were some things that that have worked you know things I did many many years ago um, the way I structured particular entities so that we could um, allow the Australian public to fundraise for any Australian charity it's quite specific about how we can do that both in entity setup uh, legal setup and so forth And there's a whole lot of legalities that we also had to um, create um, with uh, the uh, authorities because they also didn't exist. So there was sort of no legislation around some of this stuff as well. So we're also working in an environment that that doesn't understand because government and legislation are always a little bit um, catching, they're always catching up. They're uh, They're not as advanced as what's going on in the market. So a couple of things that we did there and the way we structured it allow us now to do things like, um, as I said, any fundraiser for any Australian charity and uh, some of the big players like Facebook are doing that now as well. But we were doing it years and years before. So they've taken the model that we've um, that we created and the and um, the structure and the legality that we've done and they're doing that as well.
0: Yeah, fantastic. So obviously when you're building up this entity and you've got this great team behind you, then really you you are the face of, of the business because the vision really has come birthed out of you, so to speak. So tell us a little bit about what you did to build yourself up as that industry leader and female entrepreneur. Because I know with a lot of women, not all women, but a lot of them, the idea, the business, great, love doing that, but do I really need to be the face of the business? This has been important for you, hasn't it? And then what are some of the things that you've learned along the way that you can share with us today?
1: Sort of three things. Um, I'm not really interested in sort of ego marketing and, you know, being the face for the sake of being the face. Um, There were three things I did to be the face. Number one was I had to work really hard in sales myself. So I had to go and knock on the doors of our charity partners and describe what we were doing and try to get them on board. So a lot of them know me through that, it's not just because I'm on the website, it's because I've had that face-to-face interaction um, with all of the different organisations. The other thing is because I felt quite passionate about the regulatory environment and and all of that, I've become an industry leader because I understand it and because we're working in this space. So people have called on me to speak, for example, in front of a Senate committee uh, about changes that will positively impact uh, the crowdfunding space for charities and personal causes. It's a bit of a spaghetti mess, so I could talk to that. And that was more because I had the expertise to do that. And um, I've also been um, helping to mentor other um, women and female entrepreneurs. But it's all um, more about, um, for me, um, promoting the business and promoting myself.
0: Yeah, so true. And the fact that you've walked the path before and and overcome a lot of challenges, it means that people who are now looking to enter the market, there's things that you've learned through trial and error that can certainly support them. Uh, Linda asks a really great question. Let me bring this in there. How do you compete with businesses that are trying to copy your model? How do you evolve? Is that something that you've uh, come to experience, Tanya? Uh,
1: absolutely. And without doubt. And, you know, I suppose, well, firstly, isn't it a great compliment that you're doing something right? And you're actually creating, well, in my case, we've created a an industry that didn't exist. Um, of course, we uh, created the personal cause crowdfunding or fundraising along with the charity fundraising as well. We have the B2B which is um, we work with our charity partners and B2C, which is business to consumer. And we have many, many competitors now on both those angles, B2C and B2B. Um, firstly, as hard as it is, you're not going to stop it, so embrace it. But some of those competitors are doing, uh, have come into the market and are doing things better than us because that's what happens as an industry evolves. You're first in, you're doing your thing, okay, you're improving and so on, but then there's somebody that will come from the outside and try to disrupt what you're doing and possibly do it better. And we've all seen that disruption on on every single, um, uh, in in every single industry and our industry is no different. So uh, we have to be ahead of the curve. We have to catch up if we're not caught up. Uh, We have to always be innovating um, because there's always the next disruptor on our tail. Um, So I think that's also a really interesting lesson because on the one hand you have me, an entrepreneur that created something that didn't exist so it filled a space and a gap in the market. But then 10, 11, 12 years on, you have people coming into a market that does exist and just trying to do it different or trying to do it better. So I think that that's a great lesson that other people can come in and see a market that's mature and say, actually, I know that exists, but I think I can do it better. I've got a better way or a better idea or, or a more efficient idea or what have you. And then come into that market and disrupt it.
0: Yeah, great, great, great question, Linda, and I love the response there, Tanya. What do you do, maybe individually or as a team, that enables you to continue to be innovative? Are there certain tactics that you use? Do you go outside your industry? What does that look like for you? Because this is something that I think every business, every industry needs to do continuously.
1: Yeah, firstly, be awake. They're really um, awake to what's going on um, inside your, uh, your industry and with your competitors and so on. In our case, because we're relatively small, we can really pivot and adjust and build and create really quickly. And we actually saw a competitor of ours go by the wayside uh, last year um, because they were such a big wheel and couldn't adapt quickly. So being smaller and adaptable certainly has its advantages. There are disadvantages too to, to, to size on both sides, um, but that is a really big advantage. So while um, if you're not interested in your market and you're not watching what's going on, um, you are going to become the one that gets disrupted. So um, you always have to be changing, adapting, competing.
0: Yeah. You mentioned something earlier. I'd love to spend a little bit more time on this. Is that, you know, obviously as the business, you had a great idea, you got a team behind you that was developing that. Then you took that to market and you said you needed to go out and then speak to people. And so you're passionate about your your vision and, and your mission and you need to be able to communicate that to others so that they can likewise come and support you come on board. What were some of the insights you learned that you want to share today that perhaps, you know, you, you see some women with great business ideas, but just the way that they're explaining it and bringing it to market may need some tweaking. Any insights here?
1: Um, well, nowadays, most businesses trying to get to market are, um, are having to use, you know, the big player platforms to do their marketing, which is, of course, your Googles and Facebooks of this world. And there's no getting out of that anymore. So it of totally depends on your market. In a B2B market, you might, um, you might be able to do more face-to-face um, meetings. And what's really evolved post-COVID, I think, is you can become a lot more efficient in seeing more clients by doing it online. It's much more acceptable. So we always had online video meetings, of course, but, you know, I mean, everybody knows now since 2020, it's really perfectly acceptable now to try to get meetings interstate or even in your own state um, online. So that's um, really important not to forget um, that you you need to be talking to as many people as you possibly can if you're in that kind of industry or product world um, where uh, you need to get clients. And now with video meetings, there's kind of no excuse um, attending conferences and so on to do with your industry. And then there's that, that the second tier, of course, which is the um, the online platforms, which. Um, for both b2b and b2c uh, one is probably compelled to advertise on i don't know of a business that doesn't need to use those big platforms so bringing in the expertise there we were really super lucky it was very serendipitous that we had unbelievable expertise early on board um, with uh, seo and sem so we had incredible success with that from very, very early on, you know, when the market of all of that wasn't so mature and you couldn't really get that many consultants, we had actually um, staff employed and they still are um, working on that as a key tenant of the business.
0: Yeah. I mean, obviously, when you're in the in industry where you are innovating and maybe bringing an idea to market, no one else has really done that. You've got some advantages, don't you, in that a lot of those keywords, a lot of the positioning and so forth is quite new. But then on the other hand, too, you're needing to create awareness of this because consumers, yeah. and people who are part, could really partner yeah. with you. Don't even know that this is existing. So there's a fine line. That's but right. That's
1: a good, very good point. You know that that sort of whole education piece is very expensive.
0: Yes. So so that kind of leads me to a question of you know when you are entering a marketplace that maybe does have a number of key players. Have you found that? We need to go really clear on, on kind of niching. Where, is, where do we want to be seen as an expert or as that thought leader, that contributor behind that? Is that really important for you? Understand? Yeah.
1: Look, it's all about your niche. I mean, we're a little bit different because we are sort of first in, we're very broad and we have quite a big product offering but uh, nevertheless, there's many competitors on each of our niches of which we are across multiple. So if you're coming into a market, no matter what your product is, if that market is mature, you have to have a point of difference, obviously. So you have to have some sort of niche. Um, that could be a pricing niche, um, it could be, uh, some way that you're doing it different. And that's sort of where I was using that terminology disruptor before. But you're not going to come into a mature market and be able to do the same as a big player that's been there for 10 years that's probably like making a lot of income. So has the finances to do that. They're advertising and so on. Um, unless, of course, yeah, unless, of course, you have a point of difference.
0: Yeah. Uh, Linda asks the question here, do you want to get bigger? So you can share a little bit more about the vision of, of my cause, but I think what would be really interesting, and it kind of ties into something that you, you mentioned, I mean you may decide as a business that because there are other players, you are intentionally going to go after this market and not see want to do rapid growth but rather sustainable growth because sometimes growing too big um, can be our detriment if we haven't got the right people, the right resources. Foundations and so forth in place. So, by the way, to ask, answer uh, the question that Linda has asked, do you want to get bigger? What is my call? the plans? <laughs> well, I think, um,
1: I think um, for a business that's sort of twelve years old, um, it's more about um, staying profitable um, and, of course, growing our base and growing our income. So, in that case, yes, bigger. But in the case of you no know, bigger for bigger sake, or um, There's certain kinds of bigger that we're not going to be able to do. We're not going to be able to compete with Facebook. There are things that we just can't do. Um, And then, of course, there are things that we can do. So um, I'm actually more interested in doing what we do really well um, and keeping our client base and updating our client base and um, then growing exponentially. I don't think I'm really that interested in having thousands of staff and so on and so forth. Um, so I think the time might've passed for us to try to be, you know, the biggest, um, of course, nowadays, when people start up businesses, they might go in for funding rounds. So they might start at a much bigger place than we did. So we started with me just starting the business completely bootstrapped. That's quite different from something coming in now, like, um, an example would be something like Zero co which is doing um, recyclable uh, chemicals and washing detergents and so on for your home. So they come in really slick, you know, with all of the advertising, um, the product all set up, because they've already had a couple of rounds of funding.
0: Thinking that, um, yeah, Linda was just commenting there. She puts a, a thumbs up. Really great. And, and I think that it's so important as a director of the business, a CEO, the founder, to be really clear on what it is that you're wanting to achieve because we can be quite come quite distracted, can't we, by the tools and technologies. Is it going to help us uh, grow and, and ultimately deliver the vision and, and drive, you know, towards our mission? What do you do as the kind of the CEO, the director of the business to ensure that you continue to look forward? Because I'd imagine that there are a lot of different ways that you can go left and right. Should we do this? Should we not do this? Should we change? How long do you follow, a, 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 you know, a strategy or an idea an initiative and then get to it? You know what? no this isn't working let's tweak it let's move yeah, I oh, think no,
1: that is the hardest no, part of running a business i think is knowing when to cut something and particularly this kind of business where it's all about you know um, online and innovation and so on and um, we went in one direction a couple of years ago with a kind of a new brand that we built as well in addition to my cause um, and we went along with that for a couple of years and I just realised it wasn't working. So I had to stop it and cut it off. So it's it's basically you're cutting off a branch of the tree to save the tree. Um, and that's where you've got to be a little bit clinical because when you start a business, everything's your baby. So you don't want to throw anything out, but um, you, you can't. You have to be, uh, you have to take a step back, and you have to just be a little bit more clinical when you're when you're running an enterprise like this. And that actually ended up being a real, really good decision. We were able to fold actually that product into our main brand, and it's still a successful product line of ours within our um, within our within our platform. So yeah, it's it's a little bit hard, but uh, it's got to be done.
0: Yeah, but as as you said, you mm-hmm. were able to cut that off but integrate that in there and it can certain mm-hmm. support rather than going because sometimes you just, you just, no, let's change and change and change and then you realise, you know what, it's just not really getting anywhere. So that's wonderful. Look, I know that we've only got a little bit of time left but I would love for you just to share a little bit more about my cause, share more about the vision because I'm sure people are listening and watching and even the recording that would love uh, to support and maybe even some of the projects that are running on your platform.
1: Well, my cause is an online fundraising and crowdfunding platform where people can come and fundraise for a cause that they care about. So that cause could be a personal cause. So it could be for a friend or relative that might be sick or bereaved or been in an accident. Uh, so you can share the page with your friends and family to get donations you can leave messages on the page and the uh, campaign creator and the beneficiary uh, get all of those messages and there's all lovely thank you tools and um, different things in the back end for the campaign creator so that's a really um, nice way to help a friend and the other thing is you know fundraising for a charity so what we find is that people like to fundraise for a charity they care about and usually a charity that they care about is a charity that they've been impacted by or with for whatever reason, whether it's a mental health charity or a, um, a you know, a cancer charity or what have you. Um, so a, very efficient to jump online and uh, create your own page and all of your donors are immediately received with a tax receipt. Our 2 b platform for charities is where they might run fundraising events So now we're talking about a fun run or a bike ride where multiple people are participating in the event they've all got a fundraising page they're sharing it and all together all of that money pulls to a great amount of money that they've raised or a charity that's running an appeal like um you know we just did an appeal called educate against hate that raised eighty-five thousand dollars last weekend for example we do you know So um, lots of opportunities for people to do their own fundraising or to jump on board for their favourite charity or organisation that's doing fundraising as well.
0: Yeah. So it sounds like there's just incredible projects that are running, all these causes that are that are running, and and some of them are probably quite large ones. Others, as you said, are for the smaller type. But and um, amazing. And just to think that how many years ago this kind of platform did not even exist, and you can see some really successful stories, don't you, of crowdfunding? Mm. Because what I'm seeing, and you can share a little bit more about this. The community, and I'm talking not just local community, but national and international community, when you have a story and there's a cause that really others want to get behind as well, crowdfunding is an incredible way to be able to raise funds for that cause and charity, isn't it?
1: It is. There's not that many causes that get sort of that global or that uh, national recognition, you know, on TV. Um, In fact, The biggest one that we did did get national recognition. This is before crowdfunding was really big, so it was interesting for people, and it was about a a family in need. It was a a very heartfelt and heartwarming story about this family, and it was run on TV. Um, We raised a million dollars, and then it virtually crashed our website. It was unbelievable. That is a million dollars from the public for this family. It was incredible. These days, you don't see those kinds of money unless it's something like sort of for the bushfires or something really big and sort of almost global. And of course, there's that famous and unbelievable case in the UK of the elderly gentleman who was uh, walking on his walker to raise money for the NHS. Things like that are amazing. So you do get those standouts and those one at a time, but they're so standout and unusual that they're now quite newsworthy um, when that happens. But look, what that shows... Is that people are actually really generous and people will get behind something if they really uh, believe in it. You know, we saw it in the bushfires, we saw it during COVID.
0: Yeah, and, and that kind of thing is just amazing, isn't it? That As you said, the community is there and having platforms such as your, yourself can now give um, charities or community, you know, um, events or those kind of things that really want to raise money for local community and, and other organisations, the ability to, to do that. And they don't necessarily need to be in the same location, whereas previously used to, isn't it, pay the, um, yeah at pounding the pavement with those little rattle tins, which they still do Mm -hmm. I think although we haven't been driving as much Mm -hmm. lately but this gives us an opportunity to do that nationally but also internationally too so share how I mean obviously you've got the website at the back there but share for people um, how they can find out more about uh, my cause and what's the best way to connect. Sure.
1: Um, so you can just go to mycause.com.au, and if you want to start fundraising, there's a big orange button that says Start Fundraising, <clears throat> and um, have a look around. There's all different kinds of fundraising ideas. Um, you can see all different things that people have done, from projects to runs, rides, swims, fundraising for their pets, or um, you know, skydiving. All sorts of different things that people like to do to fundraise or um, um, perhaps there's a charity that uh, you're interested in just making donations. Businesses, I can see that question up now. Businesses can definitely run events and fundraise. In fact, we have some really interesting businesses doing different things. So a business can run an appeal. So that could be sort of saying, we're going to pay a particular amount of money to show our goodwill to this charity, and we're going to share this appeal around with our stakeholders to also donate. Or a business can start a fundraising page for their preferred charity and bank in money um, as per their promotion. So it might be something like, I'm a real estate agent. Every time I sell a house, I'm going to donate $500 to ABC Charity. And if they do it in an online page, there's a couple of advantages. Number one, all their customers can see it. Number, you know, So that's social proof that they're doing what they said they were going to do. Number two, they get a receipt for every donation and we take care of sending the money to the charity and so forth. So that's a really um, nice way of them not only donating but by showing what they're doing, they're also actually encouraging other people to donate. Or, you know, um, for example, we had a massive real estate group that did a walk in stilettos for a domestic violence charity. So all of the real estate agents were walking in stilettos. It was called uh, In Her Shoes. hmm um, things like that. and they raise a great deal of money. So there's, there's fun things you can do and there's standard things you can do. What's going on? So
0: from that, of course, Tanya, I'm hearing that the uh, the, the fundraising uh, doesn't necessarily need to have an end date. It can be an ongoing, it, such as with that real estate. Every time they sell a house, they contribute a portion of that to that charity. Yeah, fantastic. Mm-hmm. Oh, only good.
1: limited by your imagination.
0: Yeah. As long
1: as it's Absolutely. legal and it's inside our guidelines.
0: Horrific, <laughs> yeah, And of course, find out more information at mycause.com.au. By the way, because it's the cot.com.au, but can people from around the world participate?
1: Mm, they sure can. Look, we only only fundraising Australian dollars, um, but certainly uh, people can fundraise uh, for a friend or family member. They and they certainly can donate from anywhere. So whilst you might be fundraising in Australia, you can share that page with your friends and family in the wherever they are, UK, US, India. Um, And they can uh, donate. We have a lot of um, people in expats communities that might donate for their uh, family back home. And their community will support them here. And then they will send those funds to
0: the family member back home. Fantastic. Love that. Well, thank you so much for sharing uh, from a leadership point of view, you know, setting up that business, especially, uh, you know, spearheading a business, pioneering a business, which we know now um, has a a number of key people uh, that are contributing to to that industry. Uh, And then also sharing a little bit more about how we can get involved with mycourse.com.au as well. As always, appreciate you and uh, continued success.
1: Thank you, Anne-Marie. Thank you very much.
0: This podcast is brought to you by the com. Want to influence real change with your message by becoming known as a trusted authority in your industry while building a sustainable and scalable business you love? Find out how by accessing our free podcast series at www.TheInfluenceAlliance.com slash podcast series. That's TheInfluenceAlliance.com slash podcast series.